Joining me today is Jamie McBrien, founder and CEO of OptiBPO. Jamie, welcome to the program. Yeah, hi Wayne, thanks for having me again. I noticed you've sent me a caption that says, not all BPOs are created equal. Now, BPOs are business process outsourcing, and we're talking about um, outsourcing into the Philippines particularly. Why do you say not all BPOs are created equal? Yeah, Wayne, unfortunately, anyone can call themselves a BPO. All you need to get started is an office, an internet connection, and a desk. And the mistake, though, is to think that that is BPO. Uh, and the, the, the problem is, though, that when we look at organisations that are trying to do more, that are looking to manage risk and get things right, that's not the correct solution. Um, all BPOs aren't created equal. Um, they're all in different locations. They've got different technical infrastructure. They've got different ability to attract and retain staff. There's a number of factors that make a high-performing BPO versus someone who's just set up shop uh, on, on the corner. Unfortunately, there's a low barrier to entry, but that also means that there's quality is extremely highly variable between them. And in comparing one with the other, just based on price or on another factor, uh, is just not the way to go about it. Now, I've got a little list of, of factors that affect BPOs here, and I'd like to go through them. Um, the whole list is about location and recruitment and retention and infrastructure, but I'd, I'd like to take you through them one, one after the other. Um, now, now, the Philippines has got more than 7,000 islands, um, and the great big ones start with Davao in the very south up to Luzon in the north. When you say location, are you talking about which city or island you're on or are there other factors as well? The big BPO locations, as we've talked about previously, Wayne, are Manila and Clark, uh, and to a lesser extent, Cebu, but it's still a location. But within those cities, um, just saying, well, the, the best option is Clark, uh, which it is for a lot of teams and functions. I think there's more to the thinking about that. Clark's a fairly large expanse and a large area. And there's a range of different locations within there. Same is true in Manila. There's a range of different locations. There's a range of different building qualities. There's a range of different locales compared to transport hubs. These are all things that impact on the sort of staff that will be applying for roles with your organisation. If you're, um, you know, I guess everyone is looking for the best BPO in the Philippines, is location a characteristic that has a big impact on that? Yeah, totally. In, if, if, if you've been to Manila, and if a lot of us have, and a lot of people listening to this podcast would have been, or this video, um, you know, Manila is a difficult city in terms of logistics and getting around. And, and not dissimilarly in Clark, you know, the team members that you are going to hire are going to invariably either need to ride a motorbike or catch public transport, which is a jeepney, um, to work. Critical is to have your BPO near a transport hub. If your BPO is not near a transport hub, you're going to have team members that have to make that extra leap beyond the hub um, to work for you. And of course, it can be attractive because a lot of people that aren't at those hubs, which are of course more expensive, uh, on paper, when you first look at them, you think, well, that seems like great, that seems fantastic and great value. You need to dig deeper and you need to have a look at that to say to yourself, well, what sort of team member am I going to attract? I know all of us here, whether we live you know, in Australia, New Zealand or the UK, we like living and working near areas that are easy for us to access. Um, it's critical for you to understand before you make your decision uh, the exact location of that BPO and what that means for your team members in terms of transport and access. So just choosing Clark, Manila, and even going Miller or Tigas or Makati, 
um, just doesn't cut it. We need to dig to the next level. Now, Jamie, you touched then um, on staff and that leads me to recruitment. Why does recruitment make a difference? Isn't recruitment just recruitment, recruitment, recruitment? Yeah, I think, you know, we, we all know there's places that we'd all prefer to work. And um, you know, on the location side, um, I know personally, uh, in my experience living in Sydney, I've only really applied for jobs in the CBD or near the CBD. I don't really care if there's a fantastic job in the outer suburbs. It's not where I live. It's not where I want to work. It's not where I want to be. Um, so on the recruitment front too, getting that right, um, again, anyone, just as anyone can set up a BPO, anyone can put a job ad up on monster.com in the Philippines or a job board and start screening applicants. That doesn't mean that you're going to get good applicants. That means you are going to get applicants. Um, it's important, you know, the right organisations and the right BPOs that have the right momentum and size, and this is where size is critical, uh, have a natural attraction for team members. Team members want to work there. We all know where we live in our local countries. There's certain employers and certain places that people want to work. They will apply for jobs uh, at those locations intentionally because that's where they want to be. Uh, and they'll actively and proactively seek those out. So sure, you might get some good, okay candidates at other locations, other places reactively. But unless you're a larger uh, BPO provider in the right location, you're just not going to get the right team members and candidates applying for you. You won't even see those candidates. So there's this whole pool of people that you're going to miss out on. Well, that's, that's the attraction strategy, I guess. The natural balance for attraction is retention. Do retention strategies make a difference? Yeah, oh, look, absolutely. And again, you know, you, you can be lucky, you know, in a smaller BPO in, the, in, a, in an outer location to get some people. I will then wait to see how well you retain them. You just need to look in your own life, in your own cities onshore. People don't change around the world. They want to work in certain places for certain employers. And when they get those roles, they will stick with them. Um, and one of the reasons is that those larger providers can provide a level of support and infrastructure and other activities and, and reinvestment in teams, uh, which means that people actually prefer to work there. Um, getting all those things right is, is hard. You know, as I said, anyone can open an office, put an internet connection and start employing staff. It doesn't mean that they're going to enjoy being there each day. Getting that mix right, that, that, that secret source is, is, is pretty critical uh, for having team members actually want to be there and then want to invite their friends to come join them to be there. And we all know that, that you know, one of the best ways to sell is through referral and, and same for candidates in a recruitment market. You have an attractive location um, that works with the right level of support. You'll have team members recommending to their friends and family, come join us here. Um, so it becomes a self-fulfilling uh, story if you get it right. Now, Jamie, earlier on you mentioned size of BPOs. How does the size of the BPO factor into this? Uh, a lot of them are the 100 to 200 size um, personnel. Um, they've made a start. They're getting out there. They're going to start hitting barriers. They've probably got an IT team of you know, two, three, four, maybe even five. Um, as they grow and they start doing bigger, more complex things, they're inevitably going to hit a, hit a point um, where, where, they're going to, where they're going to struggle. The larger BPOs, whether you like it or not, um, you know, the 500, the 1,000 seat BPOs have worked through those teething problems. At 100, 200, you're, you're taking the risk of them actually making it to the next step. And, and, and don't fool yourself. Um, 
you sit there and you go, well, they're going to be smaller and they're going to be, you know, look after me a whole lot more. Their aims to be a 300 or 500 seat BPO. They're going to get there at some stage. Um, do you want to be the organisation that helps them work through that, 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 that dip? So the larger organisations, more stability, uh, more finances behind them. They've worked through those issues. They've worked through the teething problems uh, and they're able to provide, I think, a far greater level of support. Um, I wouldn't take any of my clients to, um, to any of the smaller providers. Jamie, you talk about different size BPOs and the risk of the smaller ones. I guess if you go and look on Google, you don't see the ones that have gone out of business. Have there been BPOs that have just folded up and disappeared in the night? Yeah, look, absolutely. Uh, what I was talking about before was, um, you know, they get to 100, 200. Uh, they think they're onto a good thing. They start realising they don't have the right infrastructure from an IT perspective. They don't have the right recruitment. They don't have the right HR support and they don't have the right reinvestment in systems to get things right. At that point in time, um, they're likely to be cash flow positive and the idea of reinvesting in those things brings them to a standstill. I was just sent recently a, a clip on another BPO to say, Jamie, here's a competitor of yours. Have a look at them. Um, they're doing exactly what you do. I'm only to find out they went out of business 18 months ago. Uh, as I said, it's an easy business to set up. Anyone can get an office. It's a hard business to get right. And it's also a hard business to scale and a hard business to build engaged and, and retain teams. And I think that um, when you work with us and the sort of organisations we work with, they've trodden that path. Um, I, I've been doing this myself now for, for 20 years. Um, Opti BPO was part of Optum2, which kicked off in 2008. So we've been around a long time. Um, we only work with strong providers that have been out there a long time and we now have the financial backing uh, to be successful. So while it can be attractive to see a slight cost saving at, a, at another location that's smaller and cheaper, I think you get what you pay for and you need to be careful because in the end you're managing risk and it's about your business and, and, and taking that risk of service disruption, um, I just don't think it's worth it. Jamie, I think you've touched on something we haven't talked about this time and that is what OptiBPO does. Can you just give us a... a a quick burst for those people who are not familiar with OptiBPO about what it is you do? Yeah, um, OptiBPO helps organisations plan, build and manage teams in the Philippines. We provide onshore support to create offshore success. What does that mean? Uh, that means that we spend time with you. We have offices in Sydney and London. We'll spend time with you in each of those locations to help you build the plan, get you confident about what it is that you're doing, to understand any enablers and prerequisites, and that's often about getting processes right, um, getting other collateral in place, getting systems ready, and then actually helping manage the transition uh, into the BPO providers. Uh, and then from there, managing the team on an ongoing basis. The idea is that in the end, do you really want to be managing a BPO in the Philippines uh, and ringing up the Philippines each day uh, to, to talk through issues? Uh, we manage those issues on behalf of our clients. We deliver BPO as a managed service, which means that clients can get on with running their businesses uh, and they can also feel as though um, that those risks are managed in working with someone like us that's done it many times. And as I said, in uh, this business since 2008 and previously before that uh, for my whole career and, and similarly for the other directors of the business. And Jamie, is there a scope of activity that you outsource and a scope of activity that you don't outsource? Or, or what sorts of positions or occupations are you involved with? 
Yeah, we are largely focused on knowledge-based outsourcing. So, so what does that mean? Um, that's a range of activities and it's, it's continuously moving up market. Uh, but that can be anything from accounting and finance support, purchasing, processing, customer service, um, all of those knowledge-based positions that you have onshore are activities that we consider doing offshore. Probably an easy way to think about it is what we don't do. Uh, we don't do call centres. Um, we'll leave call centres to, 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 to someone else. Uh, and, and we don't do hardcore outsourced IT development. Although we do hire IT support and IT resources for our clients, if you're looking for a hard, you know, one of those hardcore IT outsourcing businesses, that, that's not us. Uh, we're focused on that process-based knowledge to outsourcing. Jamie, it's been a pleasure having you with us on the program. Thanks for joining us again. Thank you, Wayne. Thanks for having me again.